morning, Bethel. Good to see all of you on this uh, September Sunday morning as we get ready to start our new series, This Is Our God. You know, we, we know about God because of what he has revealed about himself to us in Scripture. That's the only way we know. That's the only way we know about the God that we serve, about his character, his attributes. They are found in the Bible. And the first place that we find about the God that we serve is in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. This is one of the most common passages in all of the Old Testament And in this passage, we learn of God's actions are all an expression of his compassion, his grace, his patience, his loyal love, and his faithfulness. And this passage has been carefully designed to help us see the importance of each trait in relation to each other and understand how all of these traits relate to God's justice. And so before we read this, let me just give you a little bit of background of where we are in this passage. Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he's about ready to receive the Ten Commandments from God. And God speaks this, these verses here to Moses. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We're going to see that justice is not an external system to which God tries to adhere. He didn't have to go to law school to learn about justice. Justice is a word that is very common in today's society. And we're going to learn about God's justice this morning to start out this series. His justice comes out of his inner being, and it is based in his holiness, his truthfulness, his righteousness. Moses put it this way in Deuteronomy chapter 32, The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God always acts in a way that is consistent with the requirements of his character revealed in his law. He rules his creation with honesty. He keeps his word, and he renders to all creatures their due. The word justice in the Bible refers to a conformity to rule or norm. You see, God plays by the rules. The ultimate norm of justice is by his own holy character. There is a consistency in God, a straightness about him. And this is in contrast to sinful human beings, who are referred to as unrighteous or as crooked. We refer to criminals as what? Crooks. Because they are unrighteous or crooked. We refer to criminals this way, but 
we are all crooks in God's eyes because we are all unrighteous before a holy God. Only God is straight. In all of eternity, God has never done something unrighteous or crooked. Our fascination for fairness is not is found not only in court and in real life, but it's also found in the Bible. And a passage that we are going to look at today in Luke chapter 18, which describes an incredibly corrupt legal system. It's a simple story with two characters, a crooked judge and a poor, desperate widow. Jesus told this story to show that God is the exact opposite of this judge. And this profound parable touches on at least four points about God's justice. It is, we want it. We don't want it. We're going to get it. And we can be pardoned. Those are the last, those are the four that we're going to look at today. So first, we want it. Let's look at this first passage in Scripture, Luke chapter 18. He says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. You see, judges during Jesus' time were notorious for being crooked. Unless a plaintiff had influence in the community or had money to bribe the judge, there was no hope of the case getting settled on their behalf. This widow didn't have a chance since she had very little influence, and probably even less money to bribe the judge. She didn't measure up to the judge's standards, crook, crooked though they were. So she used the only weapon she had at her disposal, and that was persistence. She was persistent coming before this judge. She knew she could never receive justice from this crook crooked judge unless she was persistent before him in his court. And Jesus is sharing this to show what a contrast between human justice and the justice from our God. He was, this judge, the epitome of power and social status. And as a widow, she was on the lower rung of the cultural ladder. Widows back then had no clout, no cash, no connections. They were easy prey for predators, and one day a thief came and robbed her blind. The widow then appeals to the judge for some justice. She doesn't seek vengeance. All she wants is justice. And injustice for all of us in this world, it leaves in us a bitter taste in our mouths, doesn't it? No matter what level we find that, if it's at work when an employee lies to us, we just, oh, we hate it. When an employer falsely accuses us, we want justice. In marriage, when a partner cheats on us or abandons us, we demand justice. Even when it comes 
to something as insignificant as the games we watch. When it comes to referees and games, we want justice. We get upset at the refs. They got that call wrong. It impacted my team. We want justice. That's why in modern sports today, we have a new little thing called instant replay to make sure that we get justice. Are you upset with God at some what you might perceive as blown calls in your life? How has he or she wronged you? What area of your life are you like this desperate widow? The truth is, when it comes to justice, we all want it. We all want justice. The second truth about justice might sound contradictory when we hear it, but the second truth is, we don't want it. We don't want justice. The famous theologian and Bible teacher, R.C. Sproul, who lived on the north side of Orlando for years, has, has recently passed away. But one of the greatest Bible teachers of this generation, he had an experience teaching a freshman Old Testament course at a Christian college. He had about 250 students at this Christian college, and he tells this story. On the first day of class, he went over the assignment and said, this class will be very simple as it goes to the assignments. Explaining the course requirements, there will be three short-term papers. The first one will be due by noon on the last day of September. The second paper will be due by noon on the last day of October. And the third paper will be due by noon on the last day of November. Pretty cut and dry, straightforward. On September 30th, 225 of his 250 students approximately turned in their term papers. And about 25 of them stood shaking in terror, full of remorse, as they cried out for mercy to Dr. Sproul, of which he decided to give them a break. He said, remember, the next assignment is due by noon on October 31st. And the students very happy and promised to have their next assignment, their next term paper due on time. The last day of October, around 200 of the 250 students had their papers to him on time. About 50 showed up nervous, but not in a panic, and they told Dr. Sproul, we're sorry, please give us one more chance, it will never happen again. Dr. Sproul relented one more time, but said this is the last time. If you're late with the next paper, it will be an F. No excuses. Is that clear? They all nodded their head in agreement. What do you think happened on the last day of November? About 150 of the students had their papers on time, and approximately 100 of them strolled into class, not concerned one bit. Dr. Sproul shouted, where are your term papers? To which one student said, oh, prof, we will get them to you in a day or so. The professor then picked up his lethal black grading book and began to shout names, Williams, where's your paper? He didn't have it. He said, F. And marked it in the grade book. The student reacted in unmitigated fury and howled in protest. That is not fair. Sproul then looked back at the complaining student and said, Oh, you don't think 
this is fair. The student courageously responded, yes, this is not fair at all. Dr. Sproul then said, I see it's justice you want. I seem to recall that you were late with your paper in both September and October. If you insist upon justice, you will certainly get it. I will not only give you a F for your November paper, but also for your October and your September assignments, because F is what you so richly deserved. The student was stunned. He had no more arguments to make and apologized for being so hasty and suddenly settled in to accept one F instead of three. In God's court, you see, you and I have a flimsy defense. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 reminds us that the wages of sin is death. You see, justice for our sin against a holy God is death. We don't want justice, do we? We don't want the justice that we deserve. There's no possibility of a plea bargain or God grading on a curve because God is a just God and he will judge accordingly. So be careful demanding that justice be be done because justice in God's grading book, it's an F for all of us. And that F equals death. Number three, we're all going to get it. We are all going to receive justice. And thinking about God's justice, we've established two things so far. We want it, and we don't want it. So let's come back to the parable Jesus told. We're going to get it. The widow eventually gets her day in court, and this judge, though corrupt, finally caves in. And Jesus tells us why he continues in the parable in verse 5, referring to the judge. He says, verse 4, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I'm going to give her justice just so she'll go away. I'm tired of dealing with her, is what Jesus said the attitude of this judge was. He gets tired of her hounding, so he reluctantly renders a decision. And Jesus presses home the point. This is Jesus' commentary. Now, verse 6, he says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and I will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Think about it. The unjust judge had no respect for absolutes. He probably cheated on his exams for law school. He may have become a judge by bribing officials. What's worse, he had no compassion for people. 
He is indifferent to the needs of the poor plaintiffs who appear before his corrupt court. All he cared about was himself. He rendered a judgment because her persistence was inconvenient for him. By contrast, our God is the author of absolutes. His standards are not arbitrary, but are completely consistent with his perfect character. And his standards are not for sale. He cannot be bribed. He cannot be fooled. He does not accept plea bargains. God will judge the world. God must judge the world. And this means that he must judge you and I for the sins we have committed against a holy God. You know, there was a story of a bunch of men in a police lineup that they brought before. We've all seen it, you know, in the movies. They bring the witness in to to pick out the perpetrator in the police lineup, and each suspect was asked to repeat the words, give me all your money or I'll shoot. And this was to help the witness make a positive identification. And as soon as the men were given the instructions to say those words, suddenly one of the suspects yells out, hey, that's not what I said. (laughs) We're all a bit like that guy, aren't we? We know that we're guilty, and it's difficult to keep quiet about it, isn't it? If we are true with ourselves, we know that we are guilty before a holy God. In God's court of law, we're all busted. The good news is that God is not only passionate about truth. Unlike the judge in our story, he is compassionate about people. The unjust judge did not care about the widow, but our just God sent Jesus to become a man. Jesus is God's gift of forgiveness to a world that just didn't demand justice. We all deserved justice. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. Why? Because we were condemned already. We had already sinned. So I ask you, are you trusting the Son to save you from the justice you deserve? Number number four, we can be pardoned. Because God is a just God, he must judge everyone who does not meet his standards. And what are the standards of God? Perfection. Is there anyone in here today who is perfect? No. There is no one. That means you. That means me. That means our sin has to be paid for. Time must be served. God's justice requires that there must be a payment made for the penalty of our sin. Actually, the offer of Jesus as our sin substitute shows a greater love on God's part than simply releasing us from the consequences of sin without payment being made. 
to fulfill his justice, God's love was so great that he gave his son for us. So love and justice are not two separate attributes competing against each other, as our world would have you to believe. God is both righteous and he is loving, and he himself has given to us what he demands. God sent his son Jesus to die in our place, which is why Romans 3.26 says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The cross was at once the most beautiful and the most horrible example of God's wrath. It was the most just and the most gracious act in history with the concentrated load of sin that Jesus carried on the cross. God poured out his wrath. He poured out the penalty of sin that was due to us upon Jesus so that in that moment it was with this act that God's holy justice was completely satisfied that was done for you and it was done for me the debt was paid justice was served on our behalf upon Jesus on that cross. In other words, the sacrifice of Jesus demonstrates God's justice. When you put your faith in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, according to Romans 3.26, you will be declared just in his sight. And you won't have to pay that price. The context of our story in Luke chapter 18. It follows Luke chapter 17. And Luke chapter 17 is talking about the second coming of Christ. And that is how Luke 17 ends. Jesus telling about the second coming of Christ. And then Luke 18 begins with, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He's telling them, keep coming. Be persistent, just like that widow. Keep coming and praying for God to send Jesus to return. Verse 8, the story ends with this question. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will he find faith on earth. The implication here is that he may not. The danger is that God's apparent delay in dispensing justice may cause some to doubt. It may cause some to despair or even depart from the faith. When evil goes unpunished, when we see the evil in this world going unpunished, punished. When good is not rewarded, some may be tempted to walk away and say, is there really a God? I don't know how many times you've been wronged or how many times you've been sinned against 
or how long maybe you have waited for justice to be served in your life. But I do know that God is not deaf to your cries. Unlike the widow, you don't have to, have to pester a reluctant God to act on your behalf. He will not keep putting you off. Genesis 18.25 asks, Will not the judge of all of the earth do right? To the answer is a resounding yes. But our question is when? And that is the interval. This parable refers to the interval between Christ's first coming as a babe in a manger and his second coming, which we are waiting for any moment. 2,000 years ago, he came as an unrecognized babe in a manger, and one day he will come as an inescapable judge upon all the earth. We now live in the interim between these advents, and these interim days are ones that call for patience and a persistent faith. He asked the question there at the end, will he find faith on I ask you that question. Will he find that faith in your life? Why does God's God delay two reasons come to mind? He delays in order to fortify the faith of those who demand justice. He wants to for believers to keep praying for his soon return and not give up. And second, he delays in order to Give those who deserve justice time to trust his son. Each day of postponed judgment is an extended day of grace. And there are some here today who are presuming upon the grace of God, who sit here week after week, who need to make that choice to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. God's delay in his second coming is grace in your life. Come before him. All we need to do is ask and he will pay the penalty for your sin. He will pay your debt by charging your sins to Christ's account. The same is true for your spiritual bills. Jesus has already paid for them but you have to submit your claims. It's not automatic. You have to surrender your life to him and ask him to forgive you for your sins. His payment will then be applied to your account. And if Jesus doesn't pay the penalty for your sins, then who will? How are you going to pay for your sin? How are you going to do it? You have two choices. Either you choose to pay for your sins in hell and justice will prevail, or you receive Christ as your substitute for sin, and justice will prevail. Justice will prevail one of those two ways. It's your choice and how you proceed. Are you ready to charge your sins to Jesus' payment plan? If you are, you will spend eternity with him on the merits of what he did upon the cross. I hope some of you are ready to make that commitment. 
Surrender yourself to his leadership in your life. If you are, there's no better time to do that than today. You know, there's a lot of stories out today about car thefts. You know, we have it in our community. But even more, if you watch the news about what's happening in California. And I read a story here recently that was contrasting car thefts back in the 1980s versus today. And this was talking about a a car stolen in 1981 that made the local papers, and it was a lead story story in the local evening news. And the police issued an all-points bulletin to find the missing car and try to make contact with the person who stole it. Can you imagine that today? One stolen car. <laughs> you know, it happens you know, all the time. But that was, that was all the rage in this, in this California community. Why all the excitement? The owner of the car had informed the police that on the front seat of the car was a box of crackers laced with deadly poison. The car owner had planned to use the crackers as rat bait with cheese. He had a rat problem. And so the car owner had told the police and he was desperately trying to find the, the, the thief not to punish him but to save his life in fear that they would eat the crackers in the front seat. They would, uh, were afraid they would eat the crackers and die. In the same way, our God is pursuing us pursuing you not because he wants to punish you but because he wants to save you from your sin you may be running away from god because like the car thief you are a sinner you have broken god's law but you may not realize that it is god that is trying to rescue you from your sin not condemn you Jesus had paid the penalty, has paid the penalty for your sin, and God wants to give you the freedom that is only found in Christ. So stop running from him and run to him and find salvation. Your eternal life is at stake. This is our God. He is a just God. Let's pray. Lord.